Hello. 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 Hello, uh, Dr. 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 Donald Schaffner. I don't know what happened there. My tongue, my tongue fell out of my mouth. Oh my God, put it back. It's, I'm, I got it back. It's, it's, I picked it up. It's, uh, it's back. It's back in my mouth. Did you, did you clean it off first? No, no. It's a five second rolled on. <laughs> you know, we're doing some research on that, Ben. Are, you are. Is it with tongues on the floor? <laughs> I think you're doing tongs on the floor. Tongs. It's tongs all the way down, Ben. Tongs. I turned my tong up to to eleven. Turn turn it up to eleven. Uh, that was a that's a episode ninety of food safety talk or eighty nine maybe eighty nine food safety talk eighty nine ninety whatever it takes whatever it takes eighty nine ninety uh, two two ten two twenty it's about voltage wattage. I think it's the amperage. Is that the, what you mean? It's the ampering. Ampering. Don Schaffner, it is May. May. It's March 3rd, right? It's May the 4th, yes. Fourth be with you. <laughs> and um, did you know that we, in February, posted February 15th, February 18th, February 24th, February 25th, and then now, March 3rd, I just posted another food safety talk. We're, we're on a roll. We're like lean, mean posting machines. We are, after slacking for so long. Well, you know, sometimes you just got to blow out the pipes, Ben. You got to blow out the pipes. You got to – sometimes it's it's nice to uh, to just go to um, uh, Veradero and sit on the beach for a while. Sure. That could be a place. That could be a real place. That It's, a, uh, it's Cuba where, where – oh. Canadians can visit, Americans can't. Uh, aren't you Canadians, Americans, really, though? Because you're just no, more northerly North Americans. Yeah, we're like... That always bugs me when people say Americans, because they don't... I know what they mean, but it's not correct. That's true. That's true. It, it bothers me, Ben, when things aren't correct. You got to be correct. Come <laughs> correct. Get, get yourself correct. Yeah, correct yourself. <laughs> uh, come correct is like a... It's something from uh, the Beastie Boys said that. Huh. And it, get, get yourself correct is a, is a reference to the wire, Ben. <laughs> yeah, it is. So uh, 12, 12, two, two minutes and 12 seconds in, and I'm referencing the wire. Come correct uh, from <laughs> hipwiki.com. It means that when you meet someone. Wait, wait, hold, this is a family show, Ben. Yeah, don't worry. Don't okay. worry I got it. I'm going to. It means uh, when you meet somebody, you don't do or say anything that they will perceive as being disrespectful. People saying you better come correct are simply saying it's in your best interest just so, to show some respect when you meet them. That seems uh, that seems reasonable. That seems yeah. only f- reasonable. Yeah, um, there's some. They, they give some examples that I can't read. <laughs> yes, I'm. I think I'm reading that you're reading from Urban Dictionary. I, I'm. I'm not. I'm reading from the HipWiki.com, which maybe ah. is just coming from Urban Dictionary. Could be. Um, but it says, uh, "Said I got the thirty on me, so you better come correct," which is what uh, Lil J featuring billionaire Black says in uh, Flex and Finesse. Huh. Well, you know, you know uh, what's trending right now on Urban Dictionary? Alabama hot pocket. Oh. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. I want to click on that. I don't think so either. <laughs> is that? Is that like the Alabama shakes? Um, no, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a sex thing apparently, um, and uh, we're just not going to talk about it anymore. I'm I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> oh man, I did. I I might have just got fired for googling that. Right, <laughs> I might. I shouldn't have done that. Okay, okay, good to know. There's also uh, and Ben. We are not going to link to that in show notes. We are not. There's also a cheesy Alabama hot pocket. <laughs> And these are things that will uh, get you arrested, according to College Humor. So I'm, mm. let's not do that. I, it's not worth getting arrested for. It's um, not. 
It's not uh, a pizza pocket, a pocket watch, an Alabama. No, no pockets. Um, so Don, I just I just posted a, a, a show. And was it was it this show? It is this show, huh. and it's not. Uh, I don't know if it's coming up in my. And I'll have to check this out afterwards. It's not coming up in the feed in the feeds. So anyway, maybe, that's, maybe you didn't post it correctly. Maybe you, maybe you didn't come correct with your post. I might not have come correct with the post. Food ors, food. I don't know. Anyway, this is fascinating podcasting. No, it's there. It is there. It's on the website. Boom, boom. In fact, I just, I just I, a good text. <laughs> cool. That says oh, hitting we go. post on ninety one right now, which yeah. is something I didn't hit send on, <laughs> but about twenty minutes ago. Every every time every time I say boom um, uh, or reference boom, I just immediately want to always link to the the uh, Steve Jobs boom complete compilation, <laughs> which is about four minutes, uh, three minutes and fifty three seconds of Steve Jobs saying boom from nineteen ninety two to twenty ten. So I love that that exists. <laughs> I, um, do you know about and boom goes the dynamite? Um, no, I don't. That sounds like I should know what that is. Okay. So, so here's the, here's the thing. Um, it's a, it's sport. It's from the sports ball. Ah, and it is this guy, uh, Jason Collins, um, who was a, this is, uh, Brian Collins, sorry. Um, in 2000 and I don't know when this is from 2005, he, uh, was doing, uh, a, a, a sports broadcast, uh, at Ball State University and it very like not um, excitedly says and boom goes the dynamite, which became of internet lore, huh? Which cool. I like because I, I like to use it now. So, um, so this is uh, from from the Wikipedia. Um, during his freshman year, Collins agreed to appear on the Ball State University campus newscast, not the nudecast. That's a totally different podcast. In place of the regular sportscaster who was ill, the teleprompter was operational, but an experienced operator accidentally fast-forwarded through the script, leaving Collins with no choice to ad-lib most of his script. Among the games <laughs> Collins had to report on was the March twenty second, 2005 NBA game between the Indiana Pacers and the New Jersey Nets. The phrase can be heard as the Pacers shooting guard Fred Jones hits a three with 2.30 left in the first quarter. Um, and so he said he had coined the phrase earlier in his freshman year while playing Super Mario Kart with his college roommates. How about that? It's pretty awesome. Yeah, not not to be confused with Dynamite. Do you, do you, do you get that oh, reference yeah. or are Jimmy- you too... Jimmy Walker. Jimmy Walker. Very good. Well done. Uh, you know why I know that uh, reference? It's from a Beastie Boys lyric. <laughs> Perfect. Like Jimmy Walker, uh, I say dynamite. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, from, uh, it's, it's on the uh, Check Your Head uh, album. Um, dynamite. Let's see what the interwebs say on that. Um, I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, uh, it's from the... And like Jimmy Walker, I'm dynamite. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. The only Beastie Boys lyric I, I remember uh, uh, regularly is it's a pinch on the neck like Mr. Spock. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I like – so my, my kids are Beastie Boys fans by um, – uh, I don't know because I've made them Beastie Boys fans. Mm-hmm. And every time a Beastie Boys song comes out – comes on the – you know, anywhere music, uh, like that we're listening to music, like speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, I say to my kids, who is this? And they yell the beastie boys. And then Jack, so that actually happened this morning and, uh, we were listening to sabotage and he said, you asked me about this one yesterday. Huh? 
course this is the Beastie Boys. He's too cool. He's too cool for school now. Sabotage or sabotage? Sabotage. Sabotage. Did you get that reference? I did not get that. Oh, okay. It's not a Beastie Boys reference. That's a Star Trek. It's another Star Trek reference. There is a wonderful, a wonderful clip which we will find for show notes of William Shatner um, uh, saying uh, a line where he talks about something being sabotaged and, and he gets corrected that the word is sabotage and he just goes off on the guy and says, Look, I say sabotage. So, <laughs> so just it's it. great. I'm, I this is this is an important part of your pop cultural education. Yeah. So just just yeah, it's good. I, I you know what I say sabotage now. <laughs> there you go. It's a probably Canadian thing. It is. Well, William Shatner. Uh, he's he's from Ottawa, I think. <laughs> he's from somewhere in Canada. Yeah. Why why is it that Canadians aren't called Americans? Oh, that was weak. <laughs> they are. By me, North anyway, because they're in North America. William, no, not William. I just Googled William Schaffner. Is he related <laughs> to you? It's my dad. He's, uh, really? Yeah. Captain Schaffner was an American exchange pilot? Not him. No, no. Different, different William. William you know, R. Schaffner was my William dad. R. Schaffner. Do you know that his call sign was Foxtrot 94? I did not know that. Uh, well, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. See, that's wow. that's a, it's a movie. It's WTF, can it? Yeah, it's also uh, isn't that a uh, no? It's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. That's a, uh, a an album by a band. Oh, Yola Tango. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're thinking of Yola Tango. I know that that's a band. I don't know what they sing. Uh, this is we've really devolved here. You know the Yola Tango's from Hoboken, New Jersey. I did not know that. There you go. They are an indie rock band formed in Hoboken. The, since 1992, the lineup has consisted of Ira Kaplan, Georgia Hubley, and James McNew. Yes, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is the fourth album by the Chicago-based band Wilco. Oh, Wilco. You know uh, Wilco. I do know Wilco. I'm not a fan. I'm not a Wilco. Really? No. It's huh. not. And um, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's, like the, it's like the national. I just can't get into mm. to these bands. Mm. I don't know why. That's yeah, okay. Um, you know who I am really into right now? The Beastie Boys? Uh, a little bit. And <laughs> I did mention on another podcast about the Avet Brothers. Yes. But Wait, are you doing other podcasts? No, with you. Oh, with, with the Avet Brothers, with you. On another one of our podcasts. I'm not <laughs> okay. another podcast. I'm a little paranoid today. I know you are. Um, I I do. I, we have talked about the Avet Brothers so quite some time ago, I think. Yeah, I love them. Um, but also, I have been listening to the Sadies a lot. Mm. They are a Canadian band from they're North American. Um, they are uh, the Good Brothers. Um, let's see, Dallas Good and Travis Good, and they uh, rocked my socks off when I saw them about ten years ago. Open for uh, another Canadian band called uh, Blue Rodeo, mm. and uh, and they're really awesome. So they've uh, I'll I'll. Uh, I'll send you some stuff on them. They're right. they're just like they're, they're they've got some some awesome stuff. Oh, do you know, you know Nico Case? I do. So she's she sang with them on oh, an album too. Okay, called New Seasons, I think. Okay, she's on that one. Um. Anyway, yeah. The, so check out the Sadies. All right. Not a not a big. They don't tour a lot in the, hmm. in the U.S. But they're sons of Margaret and Bruce Good, and the nephews of Brian and Larry Good, who are um, members of the Canadian country group the Good Brothers. Do you know hmm. the Good Brothers? I do not. Oh. I think you're thinking of Goodfellas. The good, uh, Goodfellas. Um, it could be. They, I think, played. Uh, yeah, no. I'm, they, they used to hang out with the band. 
from what I understand. Oh, yeah, the band. Um, right. What was I? I bought. Uh, I bought uh, something by the band. Uh, what did I get? It was. Uh, oh, it was. Oh, gosh, yeah, it was the. It was a best of. I think. Oh, and also I bought. Um, I bought uh, best of uh, Little Feet. Do you ever listen to Little Feet? I don't know Little Feet. Are you? I think you're thinking of Donald Trump. <laughs> That's that's, that's our first political reference. Um, you know he has little hands. I, I heard he had little hands. Little feet. Don't say that. He'll sue us. Uh, little feet. No, I don't know them. No. How do yeah. I not know little feet? So the um, the reason why I ended up getting this was uh, so I was at my um, uh, the party for my dad's twentieth birthday. Uh, which was on Monday. Right. Uh, the party. The party was over the weekend, but his twentieth birthday was on Monday. And um, the band that played at his party um, is a band called Purple Valley, and they're a, a local band in, in the upstate New York area. And they opened with, or one of the first songs they played is the song "Willin'," okay. um, which is by um, Little Feet, uh, and uh, has a wonderful line in it from Tucson to Tucumcari to Hatchapee to Tonopah. I've driven every kind of rig that's ever been made, driven the back roads so I wouldn't get weighed. Um, and then the refrain, uh, weed, whites, and wine, which uh, is probably how most people know the song. But anyway, great, great uh, sort of country-ish, country rock-ish uh, song. Uh, great, great song. Great, great band. Uh, both, both Purple Valley and uh, Little Feet. Um, so, yeah. So, awesome. Uh, so, that. I- I love – so there's two things. I mean um, it, we do need to put some context. Your dad's 20th birthday uh, is is because he, he was born on leap, leap year day. Leap, exactly. Leap day. Yeah. Um, which is awesome. Also, it's super cool that your dad had a band play at his, uh, at his 20th birthday. You know, my, my parents, uh, since they retired and moved to upstate New York, moved to uh, Interlake in New York, where there's a lot of wineries, they, they are having, uh, as I've described it many times to people, their second teenagerhood. They are always out going to wineries and listening to bands. Wow. <laughs> And uh, and so they do this a lot. They have a lot of friends that that also go to wineries and listen to bands. And then uh, and they've started this tradition of having uh, having these big birthday parties for my dad, who is, you know, the whole time I was growing up was not ever the most social uh, extroverted person. And uh, and they just have a great time. And it was a lot of fun to be. We didn't we weren't able to go up uh, this year uh, at Thanksgiving or Christmas um, or New Year's. Um, and so this was a great chance for us to go up. The weather cooperated and it was just it was just a really nice, really nice time. So we enjoyed ourselves. That's awesome. I yeah. wish I would love to have a band um, on my birthday. Well, when you're 20, <laughs> I, yeah, can. I, I mean, I've, I've, that would be that would be amazing. I don't know why I don't know why I haven't had a band at my birthday. Yeah, um, what's up with that? I don't know. I don't. I, I wish I played in a band sometimes. Oh, you I, play, I wish play, all the time. I wish that. Do you, you play an instrument? I no. I took you guitar. Dabble? I t- took guitar lessons, and I was really bad at it. I think I really don't have any musical ability whatsoever. I think I. I think I probably. I could probably learn to play the drums um, because I have a, a, I think, a good sense of rhythm. Although Kristen would probably tell you differently because I'm a lousy dancer. But um, uh, yeah, I, w- I wish I was in a band all the time. I wish I was good at. A, I wish I had, you know, been able to play a musical instrument. But no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm have to settle for, you know, being good at fixing computers when they break. Yeah, that's not bad. I'm, yeah. I'm good at, um, I don't know, driving my kids to hockey. Mm. And, uh, and you're semi good at hockey itself, right? I'm I'm okay. I'm not. I so it's, it's a. 
I'm better at hockey in the South than I was at hockey in Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. I, that I totally understand. It, there's less, there's less competition here. I was better at hockey when there was no checking. Yeah. I'm, I, there's Youth no checking hockey. now for me because mm. people get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, uh, and, uh, I like, uh, I'm not, I'm okay. Um, I'm sometimes I'm good at food safety stuff. Sometimes not so good at. Food oh, safety. I'd say you're pretty much always good at food safety yeah, stuff. Sometimes. When when have you not been good at food safety? I mean, when when in recent memory have you not been good at food safety stuff? Uh, sometimes I just don't do it all the time. I'd much rather uh, watch things on TV. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I understand uh, that. No, it's, it's, I'm good. Um, hey, speaking of food safety <laughs> stuff, I had some stuff that popped up this morning. Really? Yes, that I wanted to talk to you about. All right. Well, I've got a bunch of stuff that's popped up over the last few days, and I've been carefully saving it all um, in Dropbox. Uh, and yeah, and, and probably way more than we can cover. But uh, yeah, I, I've got I've got uh, some stuff to cover as well. So okay, why, well, why don't you go first? I have a test for you. Oh, excellent. I have a test for you too. Oh, I love it. We, we This is my favorite when we have each other go through tests. Okay. So here's the, here's the, the test. I had a... Um, uh, a journalist called me who um, who I've done interviews with uh, with this individual in the past, and um, she was asking today about uh, raw milk cheeses. And the reason why she was asking about raw milk cheeses is um, you might have seen that there is uh, a recall of um, a, a raw milk um, blue cheese uh, right now going on in the news, um, and it is. Um, uh, a, a company, Maytag Blue Cheese, is, is what it is, and it's for for listeria reasons. And so, um, she wanted to know a couple of things, and and ultimately, and this is like here's I'm going to give you the list of questions. Um, ultimately, for those who listen to the podcast, and this is the kind of stuff that I try to share with my students. This is a typical sort of um, outbreak or recall type questions. So here they are. First question. Is it surprising to you that a raw raw cheese may contain listeria? So, Don, is it surprising to you that a raw cheese may contain listeria? No. No, that's what I said, too. And um, I'm going to skip the next question uh, because that's the one I want to finish on. Um, She asked me about what can happen if someone consumes raw dairy products. And I gave an answer of, you know, nothing could happen. People could enjoy their raw dairy product and have a nice tasting um, sandwich or salad, uh, but things could happen. Uh, like they could have a pathogen in there and they could get sick. And we talked about a paper that came out uh, a couple of years ago that you and I have talked about on um, the, a nice review of outbreaks linked to non-pasteurized dairy products that was in uh, emerging infectious diseases. So we talked about Campylobacter and Salmonella and Listeria and all those types of things. Um, she then asked uh, a question on is there any way to tell if a dairy product is raw or not? And so I pose you that question, Don. How would you tell if a dairy product was raw or not? That's an excellent question. I would say uh, you could tell if it, by doing an alkaline phosphatase test. <laughs> well, okay. So, uh, but that is, of course, not something that a normal person could do, but that is how uh, an expert would, would do it. That's an alkaline... not what I gave her an answer of. That's great. I well, you, you, didn't, you didn't offer me any constraints, right, in, in the no, way I... you phrased the question. Yeah. So, um, and so what alkaline phosphatase is an enzyme 
that is found in milk. It is inactivated by heat. And if you find it in milk, it's an indication that milk has not been pasteurized or it's been subject to post-pasteurization uh, recontamination with raw milk. So, um, But I would say um, there is no way for an average person to tell that. Now, hopefully, they would could be able to tell it from reading the label because I would hope that if you are consuming a raw milk product that you bought in the grocery store, uh, like a raw milk cheese, which would be legal in, in I think, some states or, in fact, most states, most states um, yeah. uh, you know, it would be appropriately labeled and you could uh, take – you know, take appropriate action. If you were a pregnant woman, you would avoid that. If you were going to feed it to your children, you you would you wouldn't you wouldn't purchase that product to feed to your children. Um, so yes, yeah, so that that's my answer. So it's really it's interesting that you know that was my answer as well. My initial conversation with her, she's like, "Is it labeled?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's labeled." And then I thought. I, you know, sometimes when you when you do an interview and you're like, you know, I might have said something that I don't, I'm not super sure about. So I followed up, just and I was like, hey, hang on a second, let me just clear, like, let me check on this. And um, here's the here's what I was able to gather on labeling. What's la- it's not required to label um, a, a food as pasteurized or unpasteurized, and what what FDA says. Um, and this gets into like standard definition of cheese and really interesting stuff, you know, to nerds like you and I. So what FDA says in there, um, uh, and I will include this in show notes, but this is dangers of raw milk, unpasteurized milk can pose a serious health risk. This is a fact sheet that they, that they have. It says, read the label, safe milk, and again, safe milk or safe dairy products will have the word pasteurized on the label. If the word pasteurized does not appear on a product's label, it may contain raw milk. Interesting, right, Don? Like it's yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 the absence of the word pasteurized. It's not the presence of the words raw or the presence of the word raw or unpasteurized. Right. So that actually provides like it, it it I didn't I mean we didn't get into it um so much in the interview but it you know goes down this whole labeling communication understanding uh of what. If I was looking to avoid raw milk, how would or raw milk cheeses? Because maybe I love cheese and I like to eat a lot of cheese, but now I'm a pregnant woman, woman, and I don't want to eat raw cheese while I'm while I'm pregnant. That is, <laughs> ben, yeah. Ben, if you if you suddenly become a yeah. pregnant woman, right now we have way more interesting things to talk about than whether you're going to eat raw milk cheese. But that's that's Don't, neither here nor there, as they say. You know what? It's it's what's what's crazy is you you don't know what kind of. What kind of outcome you can get from an Alabama hot pocket? <laughs> so, <laughs> I hope we have not. Avoided. Don't Google that. Don't Google that. Um, so, uh, I am. Uh, so, say, say, I'm really trying to avoid uh, all the listeria risks now, and I like to eat raw. I like to eat cheeses. Now I've got to go explicitly look for stuff that says it's made from pasteurized milk. Um, and and again, that's that's not eliminating my risk. It's really just reducing my risk. Um, so that I didn't, I, I guess I just didn't, I didn't know enough about the specifics of labeling for these types of products until I was asked that question and had to dig a little bit. And then I was like, you know, it's a, it, it, it gets to a lot of the stuff that, that my group has worked on in the last couple of years on consumer advisories and warning labels and the best way to communicate risk to people from a risk communication standpoint versus an informed decision-making standpoint, which really are two different things. And, and, and it, it just keeps circling back to, um, you know, that I don't think FDA 
or USDA or anyone really pro- provides a really great guidance on how to make good risk communication messages from products. Like like this labeling thing just made me think, yeah, that's not great. Like it doesn't ta- – it, it just says, okay, so if you see the word pasteurized, you're good. But if you don't see it, well, we don't know. Um, and it's not – it's just not a great way – like if you want people to avoid it who are at higher risk – we don't help facilitate that very well with not great you know, ways to, to communicate it. And so they, they do say things in this fact sheet. And again, this is um, rooted in some of the, the literature that, you know, it's okay to eat pasteurized milk or cream. Hard cheeses such as cheddar and extra hard grating cheeses such as Parmesan um, that are made from unpasteurized milk. Soft cheeses such as brie, camembert, blue vein cheeses, Mexican-style soft cheeses um, that are made from pasteurized milk. Processed cheeses, blah, 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 pasteurized milk. milk. But it's unsafe to eat unpasteurized milk or cream. Great. I understand that. Soft cheeses such as brie and camembert, Mexican-style soft cheeses um, made from unpasteurized milk, yogurt made from unpasteurized milk, pudding made from unpasteurized milk, or ice cream or frozen yogurt made from unpasteurized milk. Um, But hard cheeses are are okay. And then we have like a whole other, you know, debate and it's not really related to listeria but on this whole disc- this whole um issue that you and I have talked about a little bit on um aging raw milk cheeses for 60 days and that that um step reduces risk it, that that aging process uh will result in 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 some cases, a die-off of certain pathogens. And um, Dennis D'Amico, you and I, uh, a colleague of ours from the University of Connecticut, wrote a paper back in 2010 where he looked at 0157 in aged Gouda. And this is was in response to an aged Gouda-linked, raw milk-produced aged Gouda-linked um, outbreak of E. coli 0157. And he had this like really great quote in the paper that says... The 60-day aging requirement is based on decades-old research indicating that Brucella abortus is eliminated in cheddar alone and alone is in- insufficient to com- completely eliminate levels of viable 0157 in Gouda or stirred, cured, stirred curd cheddar cheese manufactured from raw milk contaminated with low levels of this pathogen. So, um, you know, in that, that discussion over 60 day aging, I got into it a little bit with the, with the journalist and said, look, this, it's kind of like a complicated thing. And this, I'm, I'm setting you up for the final question, which was, she asked me, is it safe to eat raw dairy products? Why or why not? So Don, what do you think? It depends. Does it does depends, that. and it's complicated, right? And and so I would say, and again, we I think our positions on this are are pretty well known. At least you know. Let me rearticulate my position: is that I think that if people want to consume raw dairy products, that they be allowed to do so. But we need a research base to help people um, produce products made from or be produce raw fluid milk and or processed, uh, you know, uh, aged. Uh, cheese products in a way that's safe. And again, kudos to um, um, uh, uh, Dennis for doing this research. Uh, it's, uh, and we'll link to this in the show notes. It's a, it's an article from JFP from 2010 uh, by Dennis D'Amico, uh, Mark Druart, and Kathy Donnelly. Um, and it's, it's a nice piece of work. And, and, and you know, it, this, this issue of aging and the, and survival of organisms 
has comes up again and again. And just permit me a bit of a digression uh, to just expound upon this because I know sometimes people listen to this because they like to hear us uh, expound upon things. That's, we, that's the show, we, right? We, we, we have to stop talking about a certain number of days making something safe, whether it's raw milk cheeses, whether it's manure. I was reviewing a paper recently and actually recommended the paper be rejected because the authors just fundamentally did not grasp this concept. And the concept is if you're looking, if you're studying the survival of organisms, it's not the amount of time that makes a difference. It's the rate of decline. Because if you say, well, the, you know, we, we couldn't detect bacteria or we, we, we looked for the bacteria and we couldn't find them after 45 days, well, that presupposes two different things. Number one, what is the starting concentration of the microorganisms? And two, what is the detection limit? And the number of days that you can find the organism depends upon the starting concentration, the detection limit, and the rate of decline. And the important variable in all of that is the rate of decline. Because if you tell me the rate of decline, now I can begin to make some educated decisions about risk based on incoming prevalence, incoming concentration, and based on and, and detection limit really shouldn't factor into it. Detection limit is an artifact, artifact of the method that you're using. And so anyway, when we're talking about safety of raw milk cheeses, I would like to, to see – and, and this, this, this idea occurred to me as I was listening to a, a colleague of ours that, that I will not mention who, who sort of reviewed the literature on raw milk cheeses and talked about, well, this study says this many days and this study says that many days. And it's just like that's, that's not the right number to be using. It's not about the number of days. Now, obviously, from a label perspective, yes, you need to have a rule, but that but that number of days that's in the, the regulation comes from data about rate of decline and it comes from data about prevalence and concentration. And and with you if you have that information, you can begin to make make a decision. But I would say for certain people, pregnant women, small children, people who are immunocompromised, you want to be really careful about what raw milk products you consume. Well, I would say you need to be careful about what food products you consume if you're in those categories, right? It's not just about raw milk. It's about, well, you know, if you're a small child, uh, you don't want to be eating uh, an undercooked burger. If you're a immunocompromised person or even an elderly person, you want to be careful even about, let's say, fresh fruits and vegetables that you consume. Again, I'm thinking about uh, listeria in uh, cantaloupe. Um, you know, they're, they're the risk is not the same across the population, and you need to, and people need to be aware of that if they want to make uh, informed decisions about their food. It's, yeah. Anyway, rant ended. No, this is good because it it ultimately comes to here's here's the the second part of my rant where I'll will jump in on this is the question of is it safe to eat raw dairy products has no answer, right? Because safety. Well, it's like does, the question: Is it safe to drive in a car? Yeah. Well, and what does safe mean? Right. right. And the answer is it really depends on what you, what you mean by driving a car, right? I mean, you're talking about uh, driving in a 1950s Chevy without the modern safety features and you're talking about uh, like getting drunk first and driving on, on a country road or are you talking about in a modern car where you're not under the influence, where you're wearing a seatbelt, you're, where you're driving in, as appropriate for road conditions, right? It, it, it all depends right. upon the context. Right, right, and and safety is is a value that you and I 
not just you and I, that each of us individually have different definitions of tolerance. And it's, it's, it's a risk question, not a safety question. And the, the, I, I, I agree with exactly what you, what you just said on this, this idea of 60 days creating a safe product. That's kind of uh, a, a straw person argument, straw man argument. I'm not sure what the right term is there that is gender neutral, but it, it is a reduced risk product in certain cases. Well, and ultimately it's a risk management decision. And so right. people that write the state regulations for raw milk cheeses make a risk management decision based upon the best available science as well as other factors, as we've discussed many times on, on the podcast, right? That's how risk management That's works. That is a risk management decision, whether you say 60 days or 45 days or 90 days. And guess what? 90 days is safer than 60 days. 45 days is 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 less safe than 60 days. But what's the right number? There is no right number. It's a policy decision. It's a risk management decision. Right, right. Exactly. And I, um, so what I, how I kind of answered that question was, I mean, essentially what we just said and said, um, you know, I'm not in the business of telling people what to eat or what not to eat. I'm in my, I'm in the business of saying things like, all food carries risks. There, there's no question that raw dairy products are increased risk uh, compared to pasteurized dairy products in my mind based on the data, based on the epidemiology um, and, and the literature. Um, and that even within the categories of raw dairy products, if we look at milk to soft or fresh cheese, to, to fresh cheese, to soft cheeses, to semi-soft cheeses, to hard cheeses, we have different risk um, calculations that go into that. And so, it, you know, my, it, it's not important whether it's safe or not. It's whether, um, whether the person who is making that decision on whatever their risk, whatever their tolerance for safety is, has the right information to make that choice. And that's a risk management decision. And that doesn't like translate to a great quote anymore. No, <laughs> that's, it's not, that's, that's, that's a lousy quote. In fact, Ben, that's, that's a paragraph. Yeah. But that's it, right? Like, yeah. That's, oh, absolutely. And and that's, I mean, that's why we do the podcast. That's why we write the blog. Is it's hard to translate that into a, a tweet? Although I did say something, and I'm not sure what the quote will ten, turn out like. But um, but uh, the the journalist is like, oh, that's really funny. I like what you said there. Like, mm-hmm. basically, um, people need to be able to make their own decisions. And, you know, risk management decisions based on having information, and sometimes the information's not there. Yeah, well, and I, I always like, um, you know, it's complicated and it depends. Yeah, yeah right. Because because that just indicates the, the the complexity of the situation. Yeah. So, so, so while we're we're still on the topic of raw milk, I I really I am getting I get a lot of enjoyment sometimes more rather than less, um, or sometimes less rather than more um, from David Gumpert's uh, blog, which focuses on raw milk and and other other. Uh, fringe food products, let's say. Um, and there's a recent article, not his most recent article, but something that uh, he posted towards the end of February. And the title, um, I guess if you if we apply uh, Betteridge's law to the title, the answer would be no. But 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 the, 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 the title of his article, which is a bit of a mouthful, is, is OPDC bumping scalability limits 
to detriment of raw milk nationally. And you have to kind of read the article. And I don't, I, you know, I'm like OPDC. What's that? Well, OOPDC, which just does not roll off the tongue, is Organic Pastures Dairy Company, which is run by Mark McAfee, who's a, who's a, a California dairy farmer who is a raw milk advocate. And and in Gumpert's uh, blog, he, he asked the question, is raw milk a scalable business? Uh, can a single dairy keep increasing production to meet growing demand without limits? Um, uh, and, and, and this is in response to an E. coli 157H7 problem uh, uh, where that organism was linked to uh, Organic Pastures Dairy Company um, uh, again. And so and I, it's, it, it seems to be Gumpert's um, conclusion that raw milk can be safe um, if, as long as you're not a big dairy farmer. And once you become a big dairy farmer like Mark McAfee, um, you, um, you, you, there, are, there are risks that, uh, that occur. What's your take on that? Do you think – I mean let's, let's take McAfee in this current situation out of, out of it for the minute. Do you think that there is an inherent – and I think I know the answer, especially the way I'm going to set up this question. Do you think there is an inherent safeness that comes from um, smaller operations rather than larger operations with uh, respect to raw milk or anything else? Right, right. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, but, the, but here's – this is a um, – a discussion or argument that 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 exactly how you phrase it it goes across different types of um, production or products right and it's and it comes down to something that I think is is like a ridiculous argument which I think is what David Gumpert is trying to make here is that exposure is less if you're small. So and that's that's true. That's a fact. That's the that definition of small, right? That is a fact. And so, by extrapolation, that means it is you are less likely to cause an illness. And let me put something in parentheses that someone catches or that that makes a dent into surveillance. Yeah, a, de- a detectable reported illness. Right. Yes. Exactly. Right. And that is ridiculous to me like like that so so i've I've heard this um in in, as it relates to to farmers markets and i've argued against this with with lots of individuals who say yeah well but a small farmer if they do something wrong it's less people that get sick yeah but those people still get sick right Right. like and and if we're we're doing something and, and again you're the math guy and i'm the communications guy but just because we make less people sick with the same factor because we're not Exposing as many people to it—that's still bad. That's still really bad, um, right? And to and to and to bring yeah. it to bring it back to listeria, and also to mention uh, this course that I'm teaching, which I mentioned before, this burn seminar on on food poisoning, which I'm really I'm really enjoying. Um, I I uh, it occurred to me that a good reading to assign to my class. Oh, which shoot, I was going to assign them a reading. I think I forgot to do. No, no, I didn't. I gave them a reading on. Sorry, I gave them a reading on HACCP. But what I wanted to assign to them, I wanted to assign to them the FDA risk ranking for listeria, which is like a hundred page document. So clearly, that's not going to happen. But I could assign the executive summary to them. And the great thing about that document is in that. Uh, in the document and in the executive summary, they look at risk on both a per serving basis and on a national basis. And if you look, uh, you know, uh, uh, across a per, a per capita basis, and if you look per capita, 
pasteurized dairy products actually have a relatively high risk of listeria. Why? Because everybody, almost everybody in the country consumes these kinds of products. And, and, and versus raw milk, which is a much more marginally consumed, but may have a much higher risk per serving. And so, and what the agency has to do is they have to look at both of these. But, but if you are focusing only on the size, you are, you are only focusing on one, which is the per capita risk instead of the per serving risk. And, and both of those are important. And the extent to which this brings it back to risk management, right? The extent to which a regulatory agency focuses on per capita risk versus per serving risk is a risk management decision, right? You could simply take the per capita point of view and say, well, we're only going to focus on the foods that cause the most illnesses, and we're going to let foods that are highly dangerous, but that are consumed by a very, very small segment of the population, we're going to forget about those. And I don't think a regulatory agency can do that. No. And and in fact, the, a regulatory agency would get skewered if they did that, right? right? Like it's in fact the, the exact opposite of... Uh, of um, uh, <laughs> of what are, where a regulatory agency when it comes to food safety needs to be. It's let's look at those under, you know, but they, they have to balance both things. Where's the greatest, um, you know, exposure to the population, but also what about these underserved populations that we may be um, discriminating against if we, if we don't focus on them or if we don't provide some, some resource uh, towards them. So, I mean, overall, I think that um, this is, you know, Dave Gumpert's, um, post here is really interesting because it's something that we have issues with or, or in the food industry in, in general. Now look to um, the uh, organic production world that the philosophy behind organic production, if we, if we go back 20 or 30 years was about small local production. Um, and I'll generalize this. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't this all, you know, the, the whole way, but because of, um, really, you know, something that we talked about last, uh, on the last podcast, the, the idea of food fraud and individuals saying that they're hitting certain, um, guidance and recommendations because there's more money in that, um, in that system led to a system of, okay, well, we're going to have to regulate what organic means. And then once that happened, it watered down for some, what, organic production was all about. So there were producers that opted out of organic certification and talk about, you know, in their marketing organic style or organic, uh, you know, farmed under organic principles, but not going through all the hoops of organic. And, and then the uh, retailers or larger producers, the Walmarts of the world, which, you know, philosophically um, for, for many in the organic uh, community would go against what that was built on have seen an opportunity for increasing that market and have gotten, you know, have, have uh, increased the, uh, the scale and that. So I think what is the underlying concept behind David Gumpert's post is that it's not about exposure. It's that um, the philosophy behind raw milk, or at least the raw milk Institute, Rami, as it's known um, is really about, making sure that we have small local production and not about large scale farming. You know, I don't think it has anything to do with safety. Right. 
like that there's an undertone there to me right yeah no i i agree and that is something that is a very interesting topic and and one you know that as we as i sit here in new jersey and as we see the erosion of agriculture in new jersey as land prices go up and it becomes harder and harder for farmers to farm is something that i i think is a good thing we should preserve small farms um and it's, this is especially uh, of concern, I would say, in uh, the Northeast, in New England, where it's basically all small farms, and and we and and again, it comes down to a risk management decision or a, a management type decision, like what's the right number of farms to have, and then and what people like the idea of having farms, but boy, they sure don't want to smell, they don't want to live next to a horse farm in New Jersey if it means smelling that horse poop, right? I mean, it's it, you know, and again, it has there's a whole range of sort of collective issues. Here that get that get you know away from food safety and get into quality of life and and what is it we're looking to you know what is it that we want in in, in our lives what is it we want in in the places that we live and it, and it and it's complicated it's complicated and it depends Ben <laughs> right right it's and it, it the the thing with food and agriculture and production is it's wrapped up in so many other issues, right? Like right. it's, it's, it's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. It's the environment. Mm-hmm. It's uh, supporting local economies uh, and jobs. Um, it, it is, it is really, really complicated. And maybe, you know, you and I are in this world, maybe all of the, um, you know, maybe our colleagues who are in like, who run car safety talk and talk about the automotive industry have the exact same discussion as we do that a small local car manufacturer um, who does a really good job or a bad job may, may have less exposure to accidents. I, I mean, I just don't know enough about it, but it, it, it is like maybe, maybe all the industries are, are like this, but, but with food, there's this other emotional piece of, Food tasted better a long time ago, and food has changed, and and it's not like I remember, and food's not real, and we need more real food, um, and and food can make you sick, but we don't want food that's going to make you sick, and what might make you sick might be chemicals, but it also might be that um, there's uh, heavy metals in the soil, and then there's bacteria. Like You know what I mean? Like I'm just... Mm -hmm going on and on and on here because that's what all of the stuff that we do is wrapped up in. And, and that's, that's a real challenge because you, you, uh, it, it is difficult to parse out all of those individual things and look at the factors in, um, on their own. Cause they don't, cause they don't exist on their own. Right. Right. And, and, and I would say, in fact, with cars, it's, it's a little more complicated or it's, it's, it's not as complicated, right? Because there are no small car. Right. I mean, unless you consider somebody like Tesla, right? Um, you know, where it's a small, high, very expensive car that's, that's, that's going to, you know, fundamentally change the way cars are made. Um, but for the most part, no, it's, it's, it's big industry. There is nobody out there that can make a small car and still comply with all these safety regulations that we have and emissions regulations and maybe and maybe that is the concern of people you know in the 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 local foods movement is that they don't want to us to have a food supply that is and this is their words not mine quote unquote uh, you know, industrialized right they they still want that a small producer and and quite honestly I think that's something that I want too but I also want that food to be safe right i yeah i want uh, i can't add anything to what you just said <laughs> That's it. Thanks, like, man. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, that's it. That's. I just want food, and I want it to be safe. And you and I might value safety more than someone else does. 
That's good. Well, and you know, it's we're we're less than an hour, and uh, I think we've we've this was our last episode, so we've we've there we go, we're done. We've we've we're in complete agreement. Uh, that's what we want, and uh, we're we're not going to post another episode until we get that. Yeah. What everyone didn't know is that what we've been doing for the last ninety six episodes um, is this is just an IAFP debate. Uh, <laughs> a poorly, a poorly poor, run one with no moderator. No moderator, and it started in 2011, and we've just continued this whole thing on, and uh, and here we are. And that, and and sometimes people listen to it. Um, they you know. do, and 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 they've been very happy. I have to say that I'm very happy, and I'm very happy that our fans are happy that that we're we've we've unplugged whatever the blockage in the pipes was, and and we're we're getting these episodes published, and uh, yeah, just really, uh, yeah, really, really feels good to, you know, it used to be when I would listen to. Other great podcasts, other podcasts, um, uh, I would feel guilty that we weren't publishing ours. And now I can listen to those other podcasts um, with a very, you know, very positive feeling like, oh, and this week we're going to publish one of our podcasts too. So really we're part of this elite, you know, group of people at the cutting edge of, uh, of media doing this thing. Yeah, yeah we, are. <laughs> so, we are. We absolutely are. And then the coffee wears off and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I had, I had- <laughs> It wasn't that fabulous. I um I had five shots of espresso this morning. Oh my! I know it's gonna. That's be, a lot of shots. It is. It's a lot of shots. It's like a it's like a, a drinking game where every time we say uh, risk, I, I just do another shot of espresso. That's what we should do. We should have one of those. We should have a food safety food safety talk drinking game. So for those who follow along at home, when they go to you know they're sitting on their back deck enjoying this lovely weather, mm-hmm. that uh, they hear something that we say that they have to. Uh, they have, it, it's complicated. Right. Every time you do a shot, do a shot, do a shot. Oh, that's good. Um, hey, you, you got some. You got some other stuff to talk about. I got some other stuff to talk. I about. do. I do. Um, and um, so, I want to talk about. Oh God, I want to talk about. I, I hate to go here, Ben. Um, oh yeah, I because wait. it's. I want to go there because it's politics. Oh. Um, so, so a b- bit of a digression. Um, somebody that I know on Facebook posted a thing about something and I posted a thing from Snopes that basically said this is nonsense and the person says well yeah I usually check Snopes first but well dot 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 and it's like okay basically you saw this thing and you didn't check the facts but it confirms your beliefs therefore you felt okay posting it and then one of his friends chimed in and I just and so at the same time, I thought – well, first I, saw, I thought of that XKCD cartoon, uh, Can't Sleep Because Someone on the Internet is Wrong. wrong. Yeah. And then I thought, I'm not going to change these guys' minds. And then I thought, this, this just makes me sad. And then – and, I, and I, 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 I turned off notifications to, the, to the, post, the post on Facebook. I'm like, okay, that's good. I feel a little bit better because now because I was feeling like getting over it, and then and then Facebook reminded me that there was still conversation on this thread, and I'm like, oh, this just makes me sad. And then I hit upon the brilliant idea that I was just I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna do anything, wasn't gonna engage with them, that I would just go make a contribution to a political candidate, and I did, oh. and I felt better. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a big f you to that's you guys. Good. And then and then uh I came across this thing uh which is uh there's we'll, we'll link to the actual article and we'll also link to the the alternate um article about it. Uh the alternate the title of the alternate article is the most depressing discovery about the brain ever. 
Uh, and it's talking about uh, a research paper called uh, – this is, this is old information. This is back from 2013. So it's not a new research paper. But there's a research paper called Motivated Numeracy and Enlightened Self-Government. And, of course, the, what, what, what hooked me in was this talk, this discussion uh, about numeracy. Um, and, and, in fact, uh, the, there's a, a, a piece about the paper which has, uh, according to this alternate uh, article person, has a much better headline, which is Science Confirms – politics wrecks your ability to do math. And of course, this resonated with me because of this Facebook post and discussion about, you know, people on uh, Social Security or people gaming the system for, for money, etc. And, and basically, the, what this article showed was that um, the way our brains work um, it's, it is, is really bad. And basically, what it means is that uh, more and better – I'll just read you from the alternate article. More and better facts don't turn low-information voters into well-equipped citizens. It just makes them more committed to their misperceptions, right? In right. the entire history of the universe, no Fox News viewers ever changed their minds because some new data upended their thinking. And when there's a conflict between partisan beliefs and plain evidence, it's the beliefs that win. And this is not just a dig against people on the right. The same thing happens to people on the left. And and it's depressing, Ben. Do <laughs> uh, you have any thoughts on this? I do. Let's, let's, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steer this um, back into food to, safety. Uh, food safety. Thank God. It, yeah, no, because it's it, – it's, I think it's it's the same from from experience. Um, I, the um, the partisan politic uh, situation in the U.S. is not unlike labeling genetically modified foods or the safety of um, raw milk, where the, there is a focus and it is divisive, divisive. I think that's the, mm-hmm. the right way to, to say that. I've read that word more than I've said D- it. Divisive, divisive. Divisive. Potato, potato. It's, yeah, I think, um, sabotage, uh, <laughs> sabotage, whatever, you know, I say, I say divisive. Um, and, but so, so this is, it, it becomes a risk communication challenge that is doomed to fail because mm-hmm. The communication's not not the factor. It's a belief system, and there's a there's a really good um, risk communication paper from from this guy Vince Cavello, um, who if you're, I, I I know of this Vince Cavello, yeah, this Vince Cavello guy um, about the four hit theory of belief formation. I believe it's called. Let me uh, Google that. Um, that uh, basically says uh, you hear something four times, you're going to have a belief. And whether that's around safety or a political um, issue, whatever. Uh, and if you, once that belief is, is formed, it's really, 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 really uh, hard to change it. And in all, like, you know, like, like you suggested, the, the math paper sort of uh, confirms is um, – the more information you get, the more well-seated your belief is that, that folks are really just trying to um, unseat your belief. And, and it's um, – I, I, I don't know what to do with it. I mean, okay. Yeah, I thought I thought you I, that was a great lead, and I thought you had an answer. No, I don't have I, – I think that's the answer is that there isn't really an answer to it. 
so basically people that yeah yeah Ugh. right like isn't that and 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 social media and the internet has made us more screwed more quickly yeah because that's more information more more, more hits more and more more four hits and more people that that help you to help support your belief system like right What's right the, oh that yeah it's the, the it's the proverbial echo chamber of social media that we talk about where you can you can tweak your twitter feed and your facebook feed um to basically only be people that you agree with i go to the internet to find more people that i already agree with mm. um i and i wonder so i this is here's a philosophical question for you. I you know I, I don't think it's any secret of my political leanings, um, <laughs> based on how I talk about things. But although I'm not going to, um, you know, this, we, we know you're voting for Trump. It's okay. Right, right. We haven't endorsed any candidates, Don. But Safety Talk hasn't. We haven't done that yet. Uh, but but I wonder sometimes whether I also uh, am sub like I, I have this feeling like oh yeah I'm totally open to everything. I, I'm happy to look at all this stuff, but maybe I also succumb to the exact same belief issue. Well, right? speak, like, speaking of endorsing candidates, I just want to say that Callie Neal is running for IAFP president, and she's a listener. She is. Now, listening. Randy Phoebus may or may not be a, a listener. Also running. Also running. Also running. So, but, you know, listeners of this podcast that are also IAFP members, you know, make your own decision. But I want you to know that, Who that Callie's a listener, and Phoebus is uh, unclear as to whether well, he's a listener. Maybe it looks like Phoebus. <laughs> if you listen, let us know. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm well, sorry. I didn't mean to derail you there, but I have to get that I've, in. I've no. There's there's no railing. I've no. I'm not even railed. <laughs> I've, I've already. I've been derailed. I'm. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah. So I think that this discussion is it's important for us in the world of risk communication to realize that you can't change those beliefs or there's a certain portion where those beliefs are so strongly held that that's not maybe part of your target audience that you're trying to communicate to. You have well, to, you, you want to reach people that are undecided, right? You want to, yeah, I think you want to reach people that are looking to make a decision. Right. Is that what undecided means? I might have just restated exactly the definition of undecided. No, I think, I think you're good. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's good. But, but well, and and maybe that maybe that's helpful to real, and I guess maybe that that's also kind of why I disengaged from that discussion because I realized that I had already pointed out to these guys that this article was false, right, or at least was subject to questioning, and they're like, yeah, but I kind of believe it anyway because it sort of it supports what I believe, and it's just like, oh my god, yeah, then I'm out, yeah, I'm, I'm out, out, I'm out, yeah, I'm out. yeah, and, and I and of course as a scientist, Ben, I like to pretend that I'm objective, and I know I know that I'm not, I know that I have perceptions, but I also, yeah, I, I guess I'd, li- I'd like to believe that I would change my mind in response to facts. Um, but, but that, yeah, that maybe I, maybe I'm, I'm fooling myself and, and I'm just the same as everybody else. Here's, here's the, um, this goes back to, to our raw milk 60 day aging thing, mm. right? We make our decisions based on facts, and and our definition of facts are probably different from other people's definitions of facts, right? Like what I look to go to is what does it say in the peer-reviewed literature, and I make sure that I try to go to peer-reviewed literature that I think is um, reputable um, for – 
you know, for, for decision-making. But that fact that you and I look at, someone else might say, yeah, but the fact on raw milk that my neighbor doesn't have allergies anymore um, after drinking raw milk, even though it's not in the science peer-reviewed world, that's equally a fact in, their, in, in that individual's mind. So even there where, you know, we, we just have a, a different definition of, of what the, those sources and, and evidence are, that, that there's a shared definition a, sort of throughout our, um, you know, our business, the business of science, but, but it's not a, as, you know, as clean as these are facts and these are not facts. Right, right. I agree. All right. See, you had nothing else to add either. Nope. All right. Except that, except that we should link to uh, the lyrics to uh, the Tom Tom Club song, uh, Wordy Rapping Hood, um, which isn't talking about facts, but it's talking about words. Um, Words of nuance, words of skill, words of romance are a thrill. Words are stupid. Words are fun. Words can put you on the run. Um, So, yeah. So, (laughs) Wordy wordy Rapping Hood. Great song. Good. And and you know what we will also link to is one of. uh, Kanye West's new song called Facts. All right, it's explicit though. I I hear I hear uh, that the the Mister Mr. West has no money. Is that oh, is that right? That's what I understand. I, he's not one of the. Um, politi- this is not a political campaign that I have contributed to, um, other than by purchasing <laughs> of of his music. You haven't sent him any money on um, GoFundMe. No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, but uh, yeah, he's got. He, he, he similar to uh, to Mr. Trump. He has a brand that I think he values um, that doesn't have actual cash that is attached to it. <laughs> if but, you know, I would say he should probably spend more time on managing his money and less time on managing his brand. I could could be or uh, could be just just facts. Um, <laughs> let me let me tell you uh, some of the. Um, lyrics from, from it. Okay. Um, Yeezy, 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 just jumped over jump man. Yeezy, Yeezy, Yeezy. I feel so accomplished. Herzog and Adidas, man, you know, they love it. If Nike ain't have Drizzy, man, they wouldn't have nothing. Woo. I love, I love Kanye. (laughs) I, so I stuck uh, to my roots. I'm like Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. I dropped the album, but the shoes went platinum. Woo. Woo. James Harden, Swaggy P, running up the budget. See, he's, he knows his he knows his money. Um, so, <laughs> apparently, two two things um, happen in our in our house now um, daily, which <laughs> which are related to both Kanye West and the internet and, and Twitter. Um, we after we put the kids to bed and, and we figure out what we're gonna you know watch on TV um, and uh, stuff. I go to the Twitter and I look up what Kanye has said on Twitter today. Mm-hmm. And I look up what Donald Trump has said on Twitter. And then we just, I yell them out to Danny. And she has to guess which one's which. No, no, she just, <laughs> she she just gets oh. a laugh. Yeah. Do you know birthday parties? My daughter loves Minnie Mouse. Uh, I'm Kanye. Yes. Okay. Uh, oh, speak, speaking of Donald Trump and the internet um, and Twitter, uh, there's a very, very funny um, – there's a, contra- a little mini dust-up a, f- a little bit ago about uh, someone is apparently um, uh, tweeting out uh, things that uh, Mussolini has said yes. um, and attributing them to Donald Trump and, and Trump retreated one of them. And so the internet was all abuzz about that. But that was pretty funny. He's excellent. He's Who's excellent. that? Mussolini? Both of them. They're all excellent. <laughs> all, the, all the great dictators. <laughs> Where's my bell? <laughs> Ding. Where's my bell? I don't have a bell. 
Oh, got to get organized. Oh, man. Uh, just the, but the Internet, what would we do without the Internet, Don? Well, we'd probably be a lot happier. I think there's studies, studies show. Studies show. Those are the facts. <laughs> hey, speaking of, speaking of facts, um, uh, what do you think about, um, what do you think about uh, thermometer calibration? Oh, and, I, and, and what do you think about uh, altitude and uh, boiling water calibration in specifically? Uh, I think it matters. Okay. I think uh, um, slightly. Uh, I don't know. What, why, why don't you? Uh, let, let's talk about this a little bit. Let's talk. Let's let's frame this up. A yeah. Little. Let's let's do this. So uh, so this this all started with an email message uh, to us from friend of the podcast and a former downloader and not listener and now apparent listener of the podcast, uh, Dr. Linda Harris from UC Davis. And Linda writes to us. Uh, so Linda, as as you and I do, probably you more than me, um, uh, works with uh, master food preservers. And master food preservers are people in Cooperative Extension who who are experts who assist other people in uh, home canning. And uh, so this is a question that went uh, to Linda, and Linda forwarded uh, this on to to us. Um, and he, so here's, and we don't have anybody's permission to read this, but we. We'll, we'll anonymize it. So, except for except for attributing this to Linda. Sorry, Linda. <laughs> um, uh, this uh, says. Um one of our new master food preservers asked me to forward this to you. This is a question which all of us would be interested in the answer. Um, our master food preservers, uh, I guess in California, live in altitudes of 4,000 to 750, sorry, 4,000 to 7,500 feet. Um, uh, the members of our new class are putting together a display board, um, uh, and this person's subject is safety. She sent her question. She needs an answer. Um, uh, how to calibrate reminded me. Uh, all right, so sorry. Uh, uh, boiling wa- the boiling water test for thermometer calibration needs to be adjusted for altitude. I plan on adding a chart in 500 foot increments to show the boiling level of water at altitudes between sea level and 8,500 feet. Um, there is a small pl- paper from the Hospitality Institute of Technology and Management, uh, which, for those uh, serious listeners of the podcast, will know is the uh, consulting uh, uh, organization run by Pete Schneider that says, this, this the HITM um, uh, paper or article really, says there's a discussion about um, barometric, correcting for barometric pressure as well as altitude. Um, also, this article by Pete questions the accuracy of the ice water calibration. So ice water versus boiling water calibration. What should I do? I would like to include instructions for calibrating one's thermometer as a handout, but can't find any accurate charts for incorporating altitude. I'd really appreciate your guidance. Specifically, number one, is it still okay to use the ice water method and is a boiling temperature versus altitude chart sufficient to amend the boiling water method and and linda's comment is um um you know that she she agrees that that the the, the article from HITM uh, touches on uh, what she thinks about the accuracy of home thermometers and the value of self calibration, um, and then she says honestly taking the temperature is the first step and ballpark measurement is probably okay. And my response is um, as as might be guessed, um, uh, for me it's about risk reduction. So not using a thermometer is high risk. Using a thermometer means it's a lower risk. Calibrating at 32 
it's better than an uncalibrated thermometer. Calibrating at 212 is better than calibrating at 32. And then calibrating and adjusting for pressure and uh, barometric pressure and altitude is probably even better still. So your thoughts? I Also, I think it's even better still, but it might be overkill. Overkill, right. Well, yeah. that's, yes. Yeah, that's my, and, and, and based on that there are already some safety uh, factors. Yeah, safety you know allowances built into the time time temperature combinations. Um, so I I don't know. Like I mean, I I like I really I like um, I love Pete. Right? Like mm-hmm. I love Pete for lots of reasons because he tackled this question. I didn't even know this document existed. Oh, there's um, so much on that HITM website. That's yeah, great. Yeah, that, that's like here. Here's like a a, a nice like easy way to attack a, a situation here are some calculations that i came out with um this isn't you know he's like even in his in his writing it's like to be sure this is not a unique problem with taylor thermometers i spoke with cooper instruments the head of engineering that they do exactly the same type of calibration with their thermometers to calibrate them about mid-scale this way they can get stated accuracy over that range um it just uh, so so to me i, I you know I, I liked um the the way that that you kind of well, and that Linda uh, approached it as well. It's like, you know, if we could just get folks to use thermometers, that would be great. If we could get them to use thermometers and know what the right temperature is, that's even better. If we can get them to calibrate them using these two different factors, amazing. Mm-hmm. But just using a thermometer in the first place is great. And right. there's, probably, there's probably a trade-off there too just occurred to me by making it look – complicated and confusing, yeah. there's a possibility somebody's just going to say, well, screw it. I just, this is just way too complicated. No, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not even going to use a thermometer because clearly I'm not going to be able to calibrate it right. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I thought this was uh, – I didn't even chime in on the, on the discussion. I was like, yep, no, this is like our, uh, our podcast is going today. I'm basically ending all of my relationships by just saying, yeah, nothing else to add. It's good. I, I like it when people agree with me, Ben. Yeah, no, it's 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 good. It, but it, but here's here's the like underlying fun part about the question is that um, there's a a really good question coming from someone who's involved with uh, master food volunteers and master food preservers, right? Like this is a really good like thought provoking type. You know, this isn't someone who is um, just taking all of the recommendations at um, face value, it's saying, well, can tell, tell me what about this, right? Like, I understand what this looks like, but we have this situation. So does it work the same way? And why would that be? And the barometric pressure, you know, question came up, um, it, to me a while ago on saying like, d- is there any difference for canning, uh, under different barometric pressures? And I was like, no, I don't, I mean, I don't think so. And then I had to go into the liter- – but like my initial thought was, no, there's not. But then I had to look in and be like, you know what? There is a slight change, but it really shouldn't matter based on the safety factors that are involved. And, and, and that's probably why Elizabeth um, and, and Judy and, and, the, and, and the good folks at uh, the National Center for Home Food Preservation don't say things like, hey, if, it's a, if there's a lot of high pressure in your weather system, don't, don't right. say Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, and that's, and that's why, that's why all these discussions about risk and numeracy are so important, right? Because once you 
it's yes, you can. I mean, it's, it kind of reminds me. We we listened. So we we because of you know traveling up to to visit my folks, uh, we were in. Kristen and I were in the car a lot, and of course, the thing that we do when we're in the car is we listen to uh, Car Talk, which is a radio show that they're just. It's basically one of the. Uh, 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 talent one of the one of the personalities on the show passed away, but they're airing old episodes and it's great. And they talk about cars and and invariably uh, on, on a regular basis, some issue comes up. And the issue that came up uh, this time, which is relevant to this to this to this topic, is uh, the the woman called in because her boyfriend insisted that every time before they went on a trip that they wash the car so the car would be more aerodynamic. <laughs> Just a little more, yeah. <laughs> to, so, uh, and, and they get better gas mileage. And if, and the guys, the, the car talk guys on the show, correctly sussed, in my opinion, correctly sussed out that yes, while theoretically washing the car would make it more aerodynamic, the amount of money that you spend on the car wash would not offset the additional gas savings, which would likely be pennies over the course of a hundred mile trip. Right. And so uh, that's, again, it's very analogous to our discussion here. Yes, you could be really concerned about barometric pressure, but, but probably in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. But you, um, until you sit down and you think about the numbers, you don't know. Right, right, right. And and that so that that shows me like just the fact that that question came in that there's a higher level of uh, of thinking of being which which fits into all the behavior change models right like that we we are what what makes people um do stuff better is if they understand the why behind what they're doing and so to like if we we um, take this a little further and say, if we really wanted people to calibrate their thermometers, these are the types of questions that we should probably explain to them on why it's important and mm-hmm. what and and where where there's some nuance to the calibration process um, because there's a certain portion of the population that really needs that that piece of information to believe it. Oh, look, see what I did there. We got belief. We got thermometers. Brought it all back around. This is I'm sewing a lot of things up here, Don. You are. You are. What else, what else should we solve today? What else should we provide closure to? I don't know why I'm so I'm so into this closure thing. I, it's a, let's you know what? Let's give, let's do a, a cliffhanger. Let's, oh, you know what? You know what? I'd like your opinion on this. Is something I just recently added. Um, is it possible to pass a GFSI audit oh, but oh. still have a poor food safety culture? Ben. Yes. Yes, yes, it is. Me and, too. Me too. I agree. Hundred percent. Yes. Um, did you read? Okay, so we'll, did you link this to? Or we will link this to um, our uh, show notes. Yes. But did you read some of the comments? I did. This? I did. Really fascinating stuff from people that we might know, like someone named uh, Vic Lou. Right. Do you know? Do you know who Vic Lou might be? Um, I think it might be. Um, it yeah. might be Vic Lev. It might be Vic Lev. <laughs> Well, it's pronounced Lev, but it's it spelled is. Lou. It's Vic Lou, Vic Lou, Vic Lev. Yeah. Um, okay, let me let me bring this up here. Well, she's got an American flag. Uh, oh, <laughs> all the people from the U.S. have an American flag. <laughs> I think she's especially patriotic. So, yeah, they're, they're the Americans. They're the Americans. Okay, yeah. so this is um, was a conversation that that occurred on a website. Uh, which is like a looks like a forum, the International Food Safety and Quality Network right. IFSQN, which I'm not a um, I'm not a 
member of. Member of, yeah. Yep. But I could see it. How could I not see it? Well, you just have to. You, you can't. You can't start a new topic and you can't uh, post oh, yeah. a reply until you log in. So you you can't have an opinion until you join. I don't need an opinion. That's fine. Yeah. But but some really so that's the the question. Um, there were um, seventy five members who casted votes. Fifty nine. 78% said, yes, it is possible to pass a GFSI audit, but have poor food safety culture. 14 said, no, two are unsure. I like that. They're honest. Um, not sure what maybe an audit is. Not sure what a food safety uh, uh, culture is. Maybe not sure uh, whether they impact each other. Yes. Um, okay. So here's my favorite um, – uh, my, fa- my favorite comment is from uh-huh. – uh, a, 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 I don't know what his name is. Doesn't matter. Uh, he's a member. Uh, is GFSI proving to be the? Is GFSI proving to not be the promised once certified, accepted everywhere, as still on the GFSI website? Oh <laughs> hell no! I can tell you how many people have called me and said, "Gee, you've got a GFSI certification. This means have all your ducks in a row, and you don't need to have and." Um, and you don't have to fill in a 35-page self-audit, send in hundreds of documents, and retype your existing information every damn time you send us a new item. That has happened exactly zero times. Yep. And, and, and so, Don, do you, do you know why I think that hasn't happened? Why why this GF and we we got all like nerdy on this, but why this GFSI audit scheme hasn't been the be all and end all to all audits? It's because of this question. Because just passing an audit doesn't tell you much about the food safety culture. Right. And- well, but, but I think what GFSI seeks to achieve is good. Yes. Um, but yet it, maybe it's just become yet another audit, which is the opposite of what it's trying to achieve. Yes. So was it a good thing or not? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't know either. I don't know if it's a good thing or not. I know, I know that after spending some time with, with a retailer and visiting a supplier or five um, who all had GFSI audits, the retailer said, oh, man, I better call GFSI because I don't think they understand what they're doing. Ooh. Yeah. That's not good. No. But really, but really interested – you know, in, so I mean, you and I have talked about audits a lot, and um, and we're so uh, I've got a, a student there that's doing some work on audits, but internal audits, not external supplier audits, and uh, she just completed a, a survey of auditors, um, these internal auditors, and about what they think they're doing and what they think their goals are. And so she she asked some really interesting questions or inter- questions I think are interesting on whether their their goal is to reduce public health, whether their goal is to have um, you know help the business. Uh, their primary goal is to help the business uh, achieve a better health inspection score because these are retail based things. And um, the smattering of what those auditors and this is a pretty good sample size. Like you're looking at um, a couple hundred auditors. Um, what they think they're doing is very different. Like even there, so we have a, an industry or a service industry that is based on um, audits that are um, standardized, but the workforce isn't standardized. Right. So that it's all, yeah. Well, and it's, 
and it's not a bad it's not a bad thing. We just have to recognize it. Well, and and this this actually this has come home to me in a slightly different way. So, and and you know you know that we've uh, in the past on the podcast we've talked about uh, the uh, Food Safety Preventive Controls Alliance, of which you and I are both a member of, and. Um, I was recently, and I think I can talk about this, um, I was recently asked to assist two other people with screening of people that want to be lead instructors for the Preventive Controls Alliance. Yep. And it is incredibly diverse in terms of people that want to be lead instructors. And so we basically look at three categories. We look at what level of education you have. We look at your work experience and we look at your instructor training experience. And obviously if somebody walks in the door, they have a PhD, they've worked in the industry for 10 or 15 years, they've held a variety of food safety jobs and they've done food safety training, HACCP training, GMP training. That person is clearly qualified based on education, based on work experience, and then based on instructional experience, they are clearly qualified to be a lead instructor for preventive controls. But now, what about somebody who has a BS degree in mechanical engineering, who's worked as a restaurant inspector Mm -hmm. for 10 years, and who's trained people in ServeSafe? Could that person be a lead instructor responsible for a food safety preventive controls alliance training according to our metrics no or at least according to my interpretation of of these metrics no and yet these are probably the same people that are out there doing in many cases gfsi audits right so it occurred to me that that the the pool of people that want to be lead instructors for fspca it's probably the same pool of people that are out there doing these audits yep so yeah and the the thing is, um, maybe that individual could be right. Like, but based on a review of their experience or CV or ap- application, it it's not clear, right? Like, it's right. That- I, I would have I would have some reluctance to say without any further action, you are qualified to do this. You know, maybe you can work at assisting a lead instructor, do it for a year, get your feet under you. Yeah. But, you know, again, or, or again, maybe a, a, a reference, check a reference. If it's somebody who, I mean, again, some cases people have references that I know and would trust their judgment. Other people, they, their references are people that I don't know. And so of course I wouldn't trust their judgment. Um, so, you know, or at least not without a, a, a phone call or, or some sort of interaction. So it's uh yeah. Anyway, so I just, I just, it's just been, it's been a very interesting experience that's kind of thrust me back into this, this whole discussion about preventive controls and, and training and, and all of that. Um. So, on on that one, um, mm. I don't know if you're aware of how the Produce Safety Alliance is doing things. I'm that, not. But there, they have, um, and and it has to do with capacity, and it has to do with, um you know, good agricultural practices, maybe being a, that, that produce rule, maybe being a little more prescriptive than, um, preventive controls. Uh, but they are interviewing individuals, um, with a, you know, a set of questions to gauge whether their ability, 
uh, to deliver material and have um, uh, a, a background uh, in in that area. And and it, but it, it's a you know it's it's you know trying to arrive at the same thing with a different approach. You know, and this is going to sound real cynical. Ultimately, people are either going to learn or not learn this stuff, and none of that really matters because what we need them to do is actually do the practices. Exactly. Right? Like, like there's a requirement for training, and that's great. That training may have little to do with whether someone implements a food safety plan correctly. And we don't even have good data on that, right? Like that, that this, this training... Um, matters. We know we know, like if if we look at um, the um, food code retail world as an example, we do have data that that shows that um, having a, a certified food protection manager will reduce the likelihood of risk factors. But in that case, we have really prescriptive things that individuals have to follow within a food code or or state regulation or local regulation, and. Having someone who's trained there impacts the likelihood that they're going to do it. What we're asking people in preventive controls is to follow it, but also we need them to write the plan. We need them to write the food code essentially for them for themselves. Um, and that's a that's a big. I mean, it's a big question in my mind on whether it's gonna what you know, whether it's gonna matter. And, and and we can't even look to the 1996 um, meat and poultry regulations as a good model here because. Uh, what was coupled with that is, okay, you need a food safety plan, a HACCP plan. You've got to employ HACCP. you got to do um, sampling. And we're going to put an inspector there all the time to make sure it's all going right, right? Like we don't have that. Maybe the biggest part of that regulation is people are compliant because there's an inspector there all the time. Yep. Yeah, well, and it, rem- it reminds me of this article that I published with uh, colleagues from CDC and, and SNET on uh, cooling practices in U.S. restaurants. And you know what the single most important factor was in making sure that you cooled foods correctly within compliance with the food code was actively monitoring the temperature of the food during cooling. Right. Boom. There you go. Yep. You, know, you need a plan, and that plan is first actively monitor the temperature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it just seems so common sense, but yet uh, until we did the analysis, we didn't know, right? Well, and and let's let's take this to our personal lives a little bit. Um you know, you and I have both been in in over the last couple of years uh working on becoming healthier and yes. And we have um, tools that we use to make us healthier. Like um, I track the foods that I eat in an app on my phone called My Net Diary. And I also have an Apple Watch which tracks my movement and I look at it and I get feedback. I'm actively monitoring my movement daily and that impacts as N equals one the likelihood that I am to move more. Absolutely. Yep. And and I, and I, you know what? I weigh myself every day and I, I, I make sure to weigh myself every day, but I try not to obsess over the change from one day to another. But guess what? The overall long-term trend is, is a trend in the right direction, right? Right. Yeah. That's, that, that's, it's the same sort of concept. And that's not something that is unlike it's, it's well-rooted in, in the literature on, on, on health, um, 
uh, you know, activities and, and behaviors that, that writing things down and monitoring makes you more likely to, to do stuff. Well, and that's, that's classic HACCP, right? You, you figure out the critical control points and, and then you monitor them. Although yet, yet HACCP hasn't made food safe. It's probably made food, food, food less unsafe, right? It's probably reduced the risk, but, it, but again, it's not, it's not a magic bullet that's going to make all the problems go away. You still have to work the system. You have to correctly design the system. You have to have, um, controls that are that are uh you know that, that are valid and and verified and and, and all of that good stuff oh, absolutely so so write stuff down so so training people to be able to write stuff down doesn't matter as much as okay go ahead and write stuff down Right, and then and then do something do it. about it. Yeah. After you write it down, if you look at after you write it down, look at it, and then do something based on what you see. Right. Yeah. It's lost though, Don. I don't know. It's lost, right? Well, so we're down. We we're down a, a a rabbit hole of let's make sure we put all of our. Uh, let, I'm going to see if I can put together a bunch of cliches here. We're down a rabbit hole of putting all of our eggs in one basket and counting them all before they hatch. Sure. I was going to say uh, down a rabbit hole of putting our ducks in a row. And, our, and but, the ducks are – they're all in a row. They're right. All... And the ducks and the rabbits and it's going to be Easter soon, Ben. Yeah. And, and nobody you... doesn't like Easter. No. And, <laughs> and you know what? It's some, when it rains, it's a, great, it's a great day if you're a duck. <sighs> exactly. Find your duck. That's what I always say. Find yeah. your duck. Find your duck. Find your duck. Yeah. All, all the great ducks. All the best, all the best ducks, all the best geese, all the great geese. Um, I think that might be. A show. <laughs> I think that is most definitely a shell. I think that's where we. I think we have to end it there. I think we've cooked our goose. We've cooked uh, our goose, and we get and to we eat, eat it, it too. too. <laughs> oh gosh, that's it. That's what we've devolved. We've we've fully devolved here. Um, okay. Well, uh, hey, food safety talk. Uh, I want to give you an update for the listeners, and you an update. I checked uh, iTunes again, and our uh, newest. Uh, um, latest uh, episode number ninety one uh, is up is up now. Chipotle the musical. All oh, right, go I'm check so it out. excited. People are people are downloading it as we really like as we speak. Literally as we speak. Literally, it's downloading to their uh, to their phones. Um, it's very meta because by the time they listen to this, they've already listened to what they're downloading and we're talking about. Whoa! But we're getting you just blew my mind. We're getting there, Don. We are going to be. I predict this. Mm. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> write this down. Write okay. this down. Two Writing podcasts it down. from right now. Episode number 97 will be posted within 24 hours that we record it. Whoa. I'm, I'm, I'm making that. That's a bold statement. Two weeks ago, I don't think we could have made that statement. We can do it now. Oh, let, me, let, me, let me write that down. Oh, there you go. I need a noisier keyboard. That's really not working. That's good. Is that even a keyboard? Where you just no? I'm, I actually opened a text window and I'm typing really fast uh, stuff that uh, is just gibberish. <laughs> it sounded like you were just stapling something. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! While, while, while we're getting the foley out, listen to this. Whoa! Um, you just pumped a. Were we talking about bikes? That was a seltzer. That was a seltzer. Seltzer. Um, do you know that on if you go on Facebook or on uh, iTunes now? Um, we have a new tag that says clean lyrics. Oh, nice. Yeah. So glad. Audio, natural sciences, clean lyrics. Nice. Clean them up. Clean nice. them up. Well, it's relatively clean. A hundred percent of our stars are five. Oh, 
hundred we, we hey, unblemished. And and while we're while we're saying goodbye and wrapping up the show, um, before we do the after dark. That's the secret part of the show that yeah, some people apparently don't know about. Um, uh, go in, If you haven't, go in and rate the show in iTunes because uh, we'd like to hear what you have to say, and it helps people find the show. And uh, God knows, there's, Ben, there's people out there that need our help. There are. There are people that, that need our help in lots of things. Sometimes just like um, – sometimes I just bring things in from the car. <laughs> it's got little to do with food safety, but sometimes Danny says, hey, can you help me? Uh huh. Yeah. Don says that people need my help. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, okay. Well, let's right. uh, let's cue up that music, and uh, it's uh, it's time for the end of the show. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. See what I did there with like cue up the music because when we edit the audio, it'll the music will already be playing. Do, do you think people know how the magic of how we do that? Do they do they think that we actually play the music when we're talking? I don't know. I don't know what they think. Hmm. We should ask them. We should put a poll out on <laughs> IFQSN Network and see if Vicky Lou and Vicky Lev what she thinks. We can just ask her. <laughs> um. The After Dark's a place where we can talk about political things. Oh. So, man, it is. I'm I'm enthralled by this this whole thing. Like it is it is the greatest. I'm watching a lot. Have you watched The Circus? Do you know about this? Show? No, no, I do not. So there is. So um, there's a, a a set of shows that HBO has run uh, for the last like ten years called uh, Hard Knocks. That is like a day in the life of the NFL, the National Football Sports Ball mm-hmm. League. Mm-hmm. And it's a documentary behind the scenes during training camp and they pick a team every year and they go, it's like five or six episodes. And then four or five years ago, they started doing the same thing um, related to the lead up to a a hockey game called the Winter Classic that happens, uh, an outdoor, outdoor hockey game, happens every year on New Year's Day. And the producers and some of the the crew from that show are now doing something called the circus, which is following the candidates as they go through. It started in Iowa and it's the Danny and I've watched five or four or five episodes. Episode we watched last night was, uh, takes you up to the end of the, um, South Carolina, uh, primaries. And, and it just shows like the candidates in, in like on the bus and just like some of it's like real people kind of stuff. Um, but then it's, it, it's kind of like, it has these two political um, analysts and writers that are that are asked, posing the questions that are really the the documentarians here. It's just really interesting. I like, and it's this whole thing. I, I have one of my one of my former students, um, Ashley Chaffetz, who did all the. Um, she listens to the podcast, so she'll like. She might even be listening to um, 
uh, After Dark, but she did all the um, pantry work and school garden work that, that we did published a couple of years ago. Um, she, in between when she finished her undergraduate degree in graduate school, uh, she was a like community organizer, like a political, she worked on political campaigns all over the world, like not all over the world, all over the U S like in Oregon. She was there for like six months as a advanced team. She worked on a campaign in Texas going door to door and living with like p- political supporters. And she, so we, you know, one day she, we went and grabbed a beer and she told me about all this stuff. It's, it's like an amazing machine getting elected. Like it's, it, it's fascinating to me. Yeah, I had a little bit of <clears throat> little bit of insight into that because um, on Roderick on the Line, uh, John talked about his experiences running for Seattle City Council, which is you know again, which I think we've talked about before on this show as well. And then, of course, there's uh, the great uh, uh, Hunter S. Thompson uh, book on uh, where he covered the um, you know the. Uh, Oh, I forget which 72 Sef- and the 76. Yeah. 72 and 76 elections. Um, yeah. And you know, this, uh, this, I, this show that you mentioned when we'll link this, it looks like a, a nice uh, New York times article just from yesterday about it, which we will link to. Um, but it's to me, it, the stakes are just too high and it's just terrifying. Right. To me, it's just it's absolutely terrifying to think that that Donald Trump could be president. And I guess I'm I'm the the only thing that consoles me is that it looks like it probably there's based on at least an analysis that that I've seen on on Facebook from a friend of mine who's who's, it's really we can link to this in the in the show notes. Um, uh, He has a consulting company. And he's basically uh, they have a uh, when they go out and they scrape the feeds or they they scrape data from all of the the bookie websites, all of the uh, online betting websites uh, for all for all the the presidential candidates, and then they sort of present a moving average, um, which basically shows what the bookmakers the odds that they're offering. Yeah. And, and and the only thing that that heartens me about that is it's showing that that uh, Hillary is is way ahead of uh, of Trump, which which I suppose given the choice is, is probably better. And of course, you know, we're probably going to irritate all of our Republican listeners, That's, <laughs> but okay. they can, they can, they can email you. Yeah, totally. The, and I can't vote anyway. I have no, you know, I'm, I'm Canadian, right? So, well, right. And you could go back to Canada. See, so to, to, I mean, I could. so, so really the odds are not that high for you. I mean, the, well, the, 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 the stakes are not that great for you, right? I don't have a job there though. So, well, yeah, I don't either. My, yeah. my, uh, my, I my, like the weather here. <laughs> me too. Yeah, um, it, I, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I understand what you're saying. On the stakes are really like they're obviously high. The, mm-hmm. you know, it's too high to to sort of make light of the whole thing. But one one thing we do have to keep in mind, I think, in this not not freaking out situation is, mm. although there you know the the, the country is not just run by one person. Like there is a whole system that tries to keep that one person honest. Right. Checks and balances. Yeah. And, yeah. and and it seems like that there are many within that system who are not fans of, of his stuff. Like actually right. my favorite – did you see Lindsey Graham's comment this week? No, I did not. Oh, uh, there's uh, – we should link to this. It's, it's, it's inappropriate. It will lo- have us lose our explicit tag. But he was at a political – um, dinner where he said, my party has gone bat bleep crazy. Oh, you know, I did see that. Yes. It's yes. awesome. Yes. And, and like Lindsey Graham, who's like one of the crazy bat, bat bleep crazy conservatives. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, from, 
from a distance, it's fascinating. It is. But when you, that, when that you realize exactly. that this is going to impact your life, it's, 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 it's no longer fascinating. It's terrifying. Right. But yeah. And I, well, and you know, again, my, my friend who, who has this, uh, um, uh, website that has this, this, uh, presidential betting odds history, uh, says, you know, Probably whatever happens, the republic will survive. Right? We've it we've will. survived a civil war. Uh, we'll, we'll, the, you know, we'll, we'll survive. Yeah, it'll it'll it might be embarrassing. It might be there might be some stuff that um, that you know changes how certain groups are treated, which is which is which is crazy, right? Like that's the stuff that 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 blows my mind. But um, but this thing, like I read a really interesting article about. Um, you know, the ebbs and flows of democracy and how, you know, it, it takes eight years or so to get to this point. And if it if 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 Trump is successful in this in this bid, then it starts to to go back to the other side. Right. Like right. There's, there's always movement in this in this world of politics. And it's uh, that's the part that's like that blows my mind about this. Right. Like it's it, there. It, it is so it is so complicated. And just the like. The, the amount of effort and money that goes into getting people to the polling, like to vote, because that's what wins elections. Like, right? Like, like everyone, the, the thing that, and, and, you know, there's lots of, um, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, attrition's not the right word, fatigue, whatever. There's lots of reasons why people don't vote. Um, and in the fact that, just driving them there might win an election mm-hmm. or does win elections. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say might. It does. I mean, that's why, that's why people invest so much money into it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it, it all turns out and we'll probably still survive, but yeah. Well, and, and there, there'll be for sure. I will have days and days even after the election is over of every night reading out tweets from Donald Trump to my to my lovely wife about about weak people and little little babies <sighs> it's amazing it's like it's almost like he is like I don't know, Bill Simmons, this guy that I listened to his podcast, um, talked about how he's made it. So he's just taken Twitter to the real world, right? Like all of the things that go on that you just like the people yell, it's now, um, it now exists, uh, in, in the real world. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, gosh, we'll miss at real Ben Carson tonight at the GOP debate. I hope all of Ben's followers will join the Trump train. We will never forget. <sighs> Don, Don, why did Mitt Rog Romney beg me? That's in capitals for my endorsement four years ago. Why? <laughs> I don't know. And oh, and of course, the whole thing that's been on the news here is is this interaction between uh, Trump and Christie. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, and then apparently he said Trump said like some nasty things to Christie after. You know, like you, you have to go now or something. I mean, even worse than that. It's just like, oh, God. Mm. Uh, uh. <laughs> I don't know. With, uh, you know, with climate change, Canada might not be such a bad place to might not Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's a good point. Um, oh, I, you, should, you should do this. Just follow. Like, th- you'll enjoy this little Twitter thing that I do now. But uh, you'll enjoy it and then you'll be sad. Maybe don't do it. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I have to. I have to like. I have to ration out my use of social media, both Facebook and uh, and Twitter, because it can be. It can just be. It can just be sad and depressing, and it can. But it can also be joyful, and and I just need to know when to just turn it off and you know just go to bed or you know read read something that's not connected to reality. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like. Uh... Um, you can start reading about fantasy football if you want. Sure, sure. Or, or comic, read comic books. Comic books, yeah. Oh, you know what? I got a new, I got a new couple new comic books I got to read. Yeah. Oh, All there right. you go. There you go. All right. That, that is thanks. That, that, thanks for reminding me, Ben. Welcome. That'll uh, give you, uh, yeah, a different different thing to focus on. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, you're you're really helping people, Ben. I appreciate that. I'm, you know, I'm full of I'm full of help. I'm all all the helps. Um, all the great helps. All the great helps. I'm a, I'm a helper. I'm a, I, you know, sometimes they call assistant hockey helpers, like yeah. a goal, ah. a goal and two helpers. Yeah. And so I, that's what I had on, uh, on Monday night. Nice. I had a goal and goal and two helpers. Nice. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's it nice good. to help people. It is. It's nice. It makes me feel good. Hey, when should we, I, when should we help people again? <laughs> we should, yeah, we should probably help people again. This, uh, food, food safety helpline. Oh, Hey. Before yeah. I, have you watched Love? Did I tell you about this too? No, ago? you did not, and I have not. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. That's your okay. homework. It's fantastic. Judd Apatow produced it. Um, you'll I, you will love it, and I think you can watch it with Kristen because it's not like uh, Good versus Evil. Okay, evil. and like or you know complicated. Who do we who do we root for? It's really just funny. Okay, Netflix Love embraces LA's awkward appealing dating scene. Yeah, that's you, right. you and I know about that. It's like what we have experienced in when we've been in LA's awkward dating scene. <laughs> ben, we said we weren't going to talk about that. I know. We said we said we wouldn't. Um so so we we're on a ro- we're on a roll here, Don. We are rolling. Um I have not let Beth know, and I think I will. That that I don't think I'm going to use her for show notes. I'm just going to do, uh, yeah. I just edit the audio and just put in links. Uh, yeah, and uh, look at the five by five format. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's what they do. I know, and, and that this is probably why, right? Like because the it's a lot of work to write show notes. It really is. Yeah, and and it's and we've been so lucky to have good help in mm-hmm. writing show notes. Mm-hmm. But the editing of the show notes is also like a barrier. Right. Like it just means it's just like a mind block. Well, so. and as I as I said, I think to you in a, in a text, you know, if if it if it's a barrier, we need to get rid of it, right? Yeah. And so we we've done it, and, and look at the shows that we're like pumping out. Right. And because um, I think there's one person that likes the show notes, and then everybody else listens for us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because yeah, there's one person that, that complains to me on Facebook um, when the links don't work in the show notes. Because the, they really, as they share with me, they really don't listen to the show, but they really do like the show notes. So that person maybe is going to be upset, but that's okay. I can live with that. Who they don't that? listen. I don't know. Who, do it. Can you can you share who that is? I don't. It's a person I don't know that I'm friends with on Facebook. Really? I, I can I can look I can look the person up and I will. Uh, I will. I will. I think it was maybe it was LinkedIn. Anyway, I'll. I'll I, I honestly don't remember the person's name. I, um, I'm interested. I didn't even know that. Like, yeah. I haven't, that's hilarious. Okay. Well, we're sorry. Yeah, it's okay. They're not. They don't listen, so they're never going to know. Right. Right. They'll, they'll probably listen. complain, but yeah, let's look. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, we're not really sorry then. No, not, uh, not at all. Yeah. So we're like fired up. Um, you already have 92 ready right um i and don't I'm, i don't remember whether the audio's done I, i've listened to it um yeah, you got the notes yeah or not the notes the, you the got the titles, titles. Yeah. yeah well i'm gonna do uh 
uh, I'm going to see if I can get both um, 93 and 95 done tomorrow. Awesome. Yeah. I got, I got a, a clean slate of a day. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks again. And I will talk to you uh, in a couple of weeks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.